James chapter 1. Let's all get our Bibles open. We're going to be looking in verses 2 through 18. So I want you to be able to see what I'm going to be preaching as we walk through it. And while you're opening it, let me read to you a quote by A.W. Tozer. And it's from his book called The Knowledge of the Holy. How many of you have read The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer? Anybody? Are you pagans? This is like a classic. You should be reading these books. A.W. Tozer, come on, you've got to get this book. It's actually brief, men. You can read this. This would be exciting. It will fill your mind with an understanding of God that you probably did not have before. A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. Here's what he says. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important things about us. We're in a summer series where we are learning to move from knowing God's word to knowing the God of the word. Did you get that play on grammar? From knowing God's word, that's where a lot of us are. We want to move from there to knowing the God of the word. It's not enough to just know informationally. Which a lot of us, if you've grown up in a Christian home, you've got a lot of information. We've got to know beyond that. We've got to know the God of the Word. And that's the aim of this sermon series. There's an attribute of God. That means a quality of God that he possesses. And almost nobody talks about it. I'm not sure you know a lot about it. Maybe you know a lot about it. I don't know. But I know that not a lot of people talk about it. It's his unchanging nature. If you like technical words, it's called the immutability of God. Think mutated, it transforms the immutability, immu- I can't even say it, the immut. you know what I'm saying. The unchanging nature of God means he never transforms. What's it really mean? Here it is. God is true to himself, never changing in his nature, his attributes, or his purposes. Do you see that constant about God, that's what we're going to be looking at. This is what James is going to be driving us to. I remember very distinctly, even though this was, oh, I guess it's 33 years ago now, when I would come home from college, I went to college in Lynchburg, Virginia, I lived in central New York, and I would come home, it was a nine to nine and a half hour trip, and I remember being so frustrated I had this like weird like mixture inside me emotionally. I loved to come home, but I was so frustrated when I would go home. And the reason that I both loved it and was frustrated, it's the same reason. Nothing, nobody ever seemed to change back home. It was always the same. On one hand, with all the fast-paced change that I was going through at college... It was kind of nice to come home where things were safe and predictable and constant. It was comforting. But on the other hand, all the things that frustrated me growing up about my family, about my town, about my friends, even quite frankly about me, they all came back. Nothing ever changed back home. And then I'd go back to college and I'd experience the same two feelings. I'd be sad on one hand and relieved on the other hand. 
Friends, we are in a world that is constantly changing, and it is changing at an ever-increasing pace. There are incredible studies that are done on this. It used to be a culture change every hundred years or so. Now they're measured in less than a year that you're seeing culture changes. Everything changes frenetically, but God doesn't. And that can fill us with confidence. So I hope you got your Bibles open. James chapter 1, enough of my introduction. We're going to be talking about trials, difficulties, hard times, and our constant immutable God. Look what James says in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. If you have the NIV, I think it says consider it all joy. So James has a theme. He's writing to Christians that are scattered all over the world. And they are suffering because of their faith. Now you've got that, right? We're all, we're all going to start out with the same contextual understanding of James. He's writing to Christians. They're scattered everywhere. And they're experiencing trials and troubles and persecution. And he has the audacity in verse 12 to say this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now, forget James for a moment. Forget the first century Christians. Put yourself in the story. When you, when I stand the test, I will receive, you will receive the crown of life. Do you see the urgency in this? You can't be people who call themselves Christians and then when trials come, your faith caves and you fail the test. That must not be us. And James wrote a book. All the chapters in the book are aiming towards buttressing, strengthening, helping us to endure what is definitely going to come. Trials, difficulty, and trouble. And then he writes in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Now have you ever, in the most difficult part of your trial, even if it never came out of your lips, it came into your mind, God, you're tempting me. Well, you can't really say that with truthfulness because it won't be accurate. James very audaciously says, God cannot tempt anybody. Now, some of you might be surprised to learn, look at verse 12, that the words trial and verse 13, tempt, are the exact same Greek root words. They're the same words. And here's what it means. It means to examine or to prove either negatively or positively. Think going to trial, and you've got to prove your case. So every trial that comes into your life, every trouble that comes into your life, every difficulty, whether it is a temptation or a trial, it has the same root, it has the same purpose, it's examining you, it's pushing who you are in the inside to the outside, and the validity of your faith is going to be evident For not only you, but those around you, and certainly to God. James said, God cannot tempt us, but God will sometimes, 
send us trials. So what's the difference? What's the difference between what God is doing and what the devil is doing? And I'm going to explain it to you. When God is the one behind a trial that we're experiencing, here's his purpose. It's to prove your faith genuine. It's to help you gain perseverance. It's, help you, it's to help you mature into Christ's likeness. Now hang on, because it's totally different when you see who, when, it, when it's Satan that's behind a temptation. Here's the devil's purpose. It is always to cause you to fall. It is always to make your faith fail. So God in a trial, whether he sends it or allows it, is always going to be proving your faith genuine. That's the purpose of it. The devil, when he's got a temptation for you, it's always, and no exception, to get you to fall in your faith to fail. So all right, listen, Christian, you're going to be in trials. And you're going to be in temptations. You know this. I'm preaching to the choir. But did you really understand the different orientation, the different purposes between God and the devil? God wants to prove your faith genuine. The devil wants to prove your faith a failure. And neither God or Satan will ever deviate from this. God's purpose is to strengthen. Satan's is to weaken. But when we are suffering, and some of you have suffered more deeply than I ever have, when we are suffering in a trial, that knowledge that God's purpose is to prove your faith genuine, it's sometimes not enough. And James knows this, so he's going to drive us right into the, into the character of God's unchanging nature. But before we see it, let me remind you of something that I have often said before. And I've got to kind of help some of you who are a little bit younger to catch up to the, some of us who are a little bit older. You are either in a storm of life or have recently come out of one, but you will be going back into one. There is no Christian that is going to ever be able to coast through this life. And some of those storms, in fact, almost every one of them, are going to blow into your life with absolutely no warning. You will not be able to be ready. It will be the true you that experiences it. Not the you when you can grit your teeth and get ready for the blow. Nope, it's going to be the you, the unguarded you, and the inside of you is going to come to the outside. That's what storms do. They dredge up when it's at the bottom and they bring it to the surface. And it's going to be true that we are either in a storm recently, that you've come out of one recently, or that you're in one right now, but you will be back in one sooner or later. Because trials are God's means to prove and strengthen our faith. But the devil will try and use them to destroy you. And when they come, we must be anchored in our faith. And James is going to show us how, and I'm going to show you how. This is one of the most unseen, brilliant truths of James. Look back in verse 2 again. Count it all joy. If you've got the NIV, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm going to teach you what that word count means. It means to lead with your mind or to make up your mind before. 
ahead of time to face trials with joy. So here it is again. That word count in the Greek language in verse 2, it means to make up your mind now when you're not in a storm. Already get your mind in ahead of your emotions. Get your, your mind prepared now that you can face and you will face trials with joy. You know, I teach married couples and pre-marriage couples that it's better always to resolve your differences when there is peace between you rather than in the middle of the fight. It is so very difficult to not put up your defenses in a fight, right? When you want to work on your relationship, when you want to work on your marriage, is not when you're in the middle of a difficulty. It's before they come. And you begin to prepare. How will we talk? Well, let's talk and communicate now the way that we will then, when we're in the middle of a trial. I once went on an epic mountain bike ride up into Jim Thorpe in the mountains. I, I really, truly, I don't know why, Denise and I were up there on a a two-night getaway at the inn at Jim Thorpe. I thought that the ride I was going to go on was just a meandering pine needle strewn path from the top of the mountain to the bottom. I had no water bottle, no flat tire repair kit. I had, no, I, I didn't even, it was 3.30 in the afternoon in October. Now, if that's not resonating, it gets dark by 5.30. And this was only an 18-mile ride. I thought I was going to be fine. I ended up getting a flat tire. I ended up getting lost. I was putting rocks in my mouth to try to trigger a salivatory you know, reflex. I couldn't even get water in my mouth. I was so thirsty. It was because I was not prepared. Preparation's a key. And James tells us, verse 2, that you can right now... Before the next trial comes, you can fix your minds on truth that you can have joy even in the middle of a trial. Now, what is joy? Because if you're thinking joy is all bubbly emotion, you don't understand it yet. That's all right. Let's understand it. Joy is a deep sense of decisive. You get the, the mental, the rational, the cognitive. It's a deep sense of decisive, emotional well-being, why? Now you got to hear this. This is absolutely the point where the sermon all comes together. You can have that decisive, emotional well-being. Why? Because of two things. God is on his throne and God is forever good. You cannot have biblical joy without both of those. You cannot have it with just one of them. You will certainly not have it with neither of them. You must have both. And James says, now, anchor it in your mind. Get your mind ahead of it. Prepare your minds for it. God is sovereign always, and God is good, and that's an unchangeable fact. Now, i got to make sure you hear this because of the rest of the message is springing off of that. Did you hear those two critical parts of joy? God is sovereign and God is good. And that is precisely where James is going to drive us as he uncovers the attribute of God's immutability. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above. 
Now let's define good for a moment and gifts. We're not talking birthday gifts. We're not talking Christmas gifts or salary raises or getting a better home. We're not talking about any of that. The context is what? Trials. You ever seen a trial as a gift? James will not let you see them any other way, Christian. The context is trials. And our sovereign God who is on his throne, look at verse 16, from above, that's his sovereignty, is ruling over all things, bringing all things in conformity to his will. And he's allowing only good and perfect for his children. Now listen, if you just are hurrying and reading verse 16 in your five minutes you give God before you start your day, you're not going to get this. You've got to mine it out. You've got to dig it deep. And you've got to count it. You've got to get your mind built on these truths. God is sovereign and God is good. He cannot be anything other. Well, let's bring that out a little bit more. God cannot give an evil gift to his children. Now, I, I don't know why you're not amening. I think you must have a spirit of muteness. But God cannot give an evil gift to his children. Now, I know it's easy to say that here, especially when I'm manipulating you as a good pastor. But can you say that in the middle of a trial? Can you say that in, the, in a life storm? That God cannot give an evil gift to his children. He cannot bring something into our lives for the purpose of causing us to fail. He cannot bring anything into our lives for the purpose of causing our faith to fail. No blessing of God ever has a downside to it. This is what Proverbs 10, verse 22, boasts about. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. There's never a negative underbelly to the blessings of God. By the way, win the lottery. Get your millions. You're going to find the negative underbelly. Everybody does who wins it. But not with God. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. He is unchanging in all of who he is. So Christian, listen, this is what you've got to believe. If a storm is blowing into your life, one that you never saw coming, one that you never imagined would come into your life, then you must know if you're going to have biblical joy that God is using it in your life for your good. It is perfect for you. Even if that storm is coming because of your own foolishness or the devil's intentions. And that's pretty outlandish what I just said. Even when we sin ourselves into a storm, God is still using it for good. And when you count it all joy, you'll see that the storm is actually customized for you. And God would not allow it, he, or he would not send it if it wasn't. So before the next trial comes, you anchor in your mind that God is immovably on his throne. That is his sovereignty, and he is unchangeably good. That is his character. He will not allow that trial to linger one second beyond which it needs to be for his purposes. Are you hearing this? I mean, do you actually believe this? I know you're listening, but can you actually believe this by faith? That God won't let that trial, that storm, blow even one second beyond what his purposes are for it? 
And if he permits the devil to come at you, he certainly did with Job, then he will precisely limit what Satan is allowed to do. Satan will never be able to do anything beyond what God sovereignly decrees in his perfect goodness. And he won't be distant while you suffer the trial. God will be right into the very midst of it, just like he was through Jesus for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right into the fiery furnace was Jesus. And the only one of his children, listen, now this is really where the gospel comes in. The only one of his children that God has ever forsaken in the middle of a trial was his son, Jesus. He had to. This is why he cried out at noon on Friday when he was nailed to the cross. My God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? God had to, and it's not just because the sins of all the believers in all times and places were being poured out in the sun. That's, that's our go-to theology on that, but that's not enough of an explanation. That's not really the only reason, and I don't think it's the deepest reason. It's because Jesus, at that moment, became the object of his holy and just Father's wrath. It is because the worst part of God's holy and just wrath is his utter, complete abandonment. Have you ever thought of that before? The worst part of God's wrath is that he utterly forsakes you. Well, let me bring it into what some people, unfortunately, are going to experience. The worst suffering of hell will be the total lack of any trace of God's love, mercy, grace, and presence. That's what's going to make hell so terrible. I mean, if you're just thinking nonstop burning and singeing flesh, and that's what's making hell. Listen, that pales in the experience of suffering that comes when God pulls away his presence. That's the frightening side of God's unchanging nature and purpose. Hell will never end. For the one who dies on repentance. Because God doesn't exercise presidential pardons where every few years he releases a person from hell. It is eternal. He will not change his mind. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He is constant. But his mercy and his judgment are also both eternal. Why? Because he is immutable. God is both sovereign and good in all that he does. And to show us how unchangeable his nature is, look at verse 17. All good and perfect gifts are coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now just bring that into our world for a moment, depending on where the sun is, if it's low on the horizon or halfway up to the zenith or straight up overhead, it changes your shadow. But God is constant. He is immovable. He is unchanging. He is fixed in his presence, or rather in his essence, in his nature, in his purposes. He does not ever change, ever. Think for a moment on this, on this year. I mean, just the last three months. 
and all the changes that have been occurring in our country, the seas are storming, and one moment we're on a crest way up top, the next we are plunged down into the bottom of the trough, but in the midst of all of these violent waters is a lighthouse on a rock that has stood the test of time. His name is God. It is Jesus Christ. You know, when I lived in Virginia, a, a group of us, we did this a lot. We would, we would tube or we would canoe down the James River. And where we would get in at the launch, the river had narrowed and it was powerful. And right, it had come into a funnel. And right in the very center of that funnel, the water had to break apart and go on either side of it was a boulder. And it served as a sober reminder that there is something immovable that even that river is not going to move out of its way. In fact, an aluminum canoe hit it broadside just before we got in the river one time. And it wrapped that canoe right around that boulder and it stayed there for months. We all knew when you get in that river, you paddle like crazy one side or the other. Do not hit that rock. If you want a metaphor of God's immutability, then the Bible offers this one. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Church, I really, truly believe we are heading into a storm the likes of which we are literally only in the fringes of it right now. I believe this with all my heart. I believe it is going to get so much worse. The church is not yet being persecuted. Not in America. That's coming. Do you see how the unchangeable nature and purposes of God can be a rock and a refuge for you? Even right now in the trial that some of you are in presently. Are you anchoring in your mind now? God is sovereign. God is good. He cannot bring evil to his children. He will relent that trial the very moment it is ready to be done. It will not be one degree greater than God's intentional purposes. Friends, this is why we want you in a, in a life group, so that you can remind each other that the counsel of the Lord stands forever, unchanging, immutable, the plans of his heart to all generations. Listen, when you're losing your grip on your faith, you better have Christians around you that are going to put their hands over your hands and hold fast to the hope of your anchor, or your anchor that is your hope. Because in the middle of the storm, we lose sight of the land. Our anchor can snap. We need each other. And that storm might be a disease. That storm might be an attack on your marriage. It might be your health falling apart. It might be your possessions being taken away. You might lose your job. Whatever it is, there is a rock upon whom every trial will eventually break. And his name is Jesus. He's your refuge. He's both sovereign and good, and that will never, ever change. Christian, do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? 
Are you leading your mind into that truth and anchoring your hope to that anchor? The writer of Hebrews, as I close, knew how important God's unchangeable nature was to the church. Because some of the people that he is writing to were in prison because of their faith. Can you imagine that? I mean, a lot of us get really angry because we're told we have to wear masks. That's fairly trivial, isn't it? Compared to you being put in prison because of your faith. Others lost their homes. Do you believe this? The government of Rome took their homes away because they were followers of Jesus. They called them pagans. And others were beaten. And others were martyred for their faith. They lost their lives. So listen, here's what I just said. Some lost their homes. Some lost their jobs, others lost their freedom, and others lost their lives. All because they worshipped their rock, Jesus. How on earth can they have joy? I'll tell you how. Hebrews 6.17, where the writer, the author of Hebrews, anchored their faith with the promise of the unchangeable, I'm quoting, the unchangeable character of his purpose, which he guaranteed with an oath. And at the end of the letter in chapter 13, he just bursts out in confident praise. This is a doxology. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's how you make it through trials. God is always immovably, sovereignly on his throne. He is bringing all things in accordance to the purposes of his will. And he is unchangeably good and perfect to his children. You bring both of those together, you drive them into your mind, you lead your mind into them, they become an anchor, and you will have decisive emotional well-being even in the middle of the worst trial that you never saw coming. Because God is on his throne and God is good. And nowhere do we see that better than in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the promises that we can find in you, Lord. The richness, the beauty, the hope, the strength that is there when we know who our God is. When we go past knowledge of your word and get to knowledge of the one who wrote the word of one the word is all about father you are amazing your son is amazing and we want to give praise that jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forevermore he does not change he is good he is on his throne and he knows, and not only does he know when we are in a trial, he is right there with us. And it will not be one degree worse than you decreed. It will not last one second beyond the length that you have decreed. And if we are in that trial, if we are in that trouble, if we are in that storm, it is there for a reason. You are proving our faith genuine if we are your child but the devil is trying to get our faith to fail. Let us not 
let him do that. Lord, I pray for anybody that's here that is not a Christian. And the trials that will come into their life are to drive them to the rock, to break upon that rock, Lord, so that they would abandon their self-effort, that they would give up their own goodness, and that they would come to the cross of Jesus Christ. The only child that you have ever abandoned was on that cross because he became the object of your wrath. And he did it willingly for us. May we worship that kind of a God, and his name is Jesus. And it's in his beautiful, perfect, good, sovereign, mighty name that we pray. Amen.